for joining us on After Dark with Robin Andrew on America Out Loud, which is available on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, or head on over to AmericaOutloud.com, where you can click the Listen Live tab for 24-7 talk radio. And while you're there, please check out the articles and podcasts updated daily. Got a big show tonight. We're going to be joined by journalist Heather Robinson once again. So we're excited for that. Always exciting to talk to her. Going to start off the show talking about what's going on with these bank bailouts. I know Rob has a lot to say about that. We're also going to continue talking about the Biden crime family. Um, you see all this focus on President Trump recently and him getting arrested and all this. But Joe Biden and Hunter Biden continue to fly under the radar, not just those two, but uh Joe's brother, Jim Biden. All these people have had their hands deep in China and Ukraine, making million dollar deals, particularly Hunter Biden. We know he went over to the Ukraine and struck a deal for millions of dollars, and he went to China and struck an even bigger deal. Now we've got um, Taiwan. Uh, Nancy Pelosi visited there. Since then, China hasn't even really communicated with us. They've sent spy balloons across our country. Uh, it's just a mess with the Bidens in China who seem to be completely compromised. President Trump was on the verge of a huge trade deal with China, and then all of a sudden COVID-19 uh, hit, and it really changed everything. And it's only gotten worse since then. So we're going to continue to talk about that. But Rob, how are you doing tonight? Andrew, I'm doing great. And as you said, there are so many layers, a lot of unpacking that we could do about the Biden administration. This ties with COVID. It ties with the financial meltdown that's taken place. Ties to China. There's just a lot to unpack. And unfortunately, the media does not have the appetite or the curiosity to unpack it, to go after it, unless it involves Trump. And somehow mysteriously, way out of left field, way beyond the moon and the stars, they manage to link Trump to all of this. Go figure. Because he has nothing to do with any of the stuff that's going on. He has nothing to do with Hunter Biden's laptop, Hunter Biden lying and saying that it wasn't his, and now that he's saying that it is his, and now he has his attorney going after the guy who presented the laptop to the FBI. And I'm hearing that his attorney, he's some Democrat, bigwig, powerhouse attorney in D.C., so he's now trying to scare this guy. Like, we're going to come after you because you let this laptop out there. That was personal information. Now, mind you, Hunter Biden signed an agreement that if he didn't pick up the laptop within a certain amount of days, probably months, that the person who's doing the repairs takes ownership. And that happens all over. If you go and put your furniture in, a, in storage and if you don't make the payments, in the agreement, it says we get to own it and we can sell it to recoup payments that you didn't give us. These are legal contracts. Now, I know the left, they will look at the legal contract and they'll laugh at it and say, oh, it's meant to be broken. Look at the non-disclosure agreements. Look at Stormy Daniels. You knew I was going to bring it up. 
and all the non-disclosure agreements that Trump had people to sign, and you have these justices that are looking at them and say, oh, it doesn't matter. Go ahead. Talk all you want to. What has happened to our justice system? What is going on in the heads of these judges who are supposed to be brilliant legalese? What's going on in the head of Merrick Garland that he refused to protect the Supreme Court justices this past summer, almost a year ago, when they, we found out that Roe versus Wade was going to be overturned? And you had all of these rioters in front of the homes of the Supreme Court justices trying to scare them, trying to alter a decision. What's happening? Why can't Merrick Garland go after them? Why couldn't Merrick Garland uphold the law? I'm at a loss here. But yet and still, here we are with these bad actors that are just wreaking complete havoc over the country. Trump served for four years. It was a tumultuous time. They were throwing everything at him from Russia collusion, not wanting to go through with his plans. He had people, staffers who were trying to usurp their authority and take over. They wanted to be president. Look at Robert Kelly. Look at Eric Tillerson. You had all these people thinking, oh, we can be the president. We're going to steer him in the right direction. Mark Miley. No, of all people, you would think he would know better. But no, he's going to go in and we're going to try to show Trump this is how you should do things. We're going to watch after him. But we didn't elect you. You're not the president. So four years, a tumultuous term under President Trump, they were attacking him, but yet and still, the economy was booming, unemployment was down, your 401k was fat, there was no supply chain problem, countries weren't threatening to bomb us, well, and if they did, little, little rocket man, they knew Trump would put something on them because as he said, my guns are bigger than your guns. But now we found ourselves embroiled in a pseudo war with Russia by way of Ukraine. Do not underestimate what's happening here. Do not doubt me. We're in a war with Russia, with Ukraine as a straw man. We're funding Ukraine to fight Russia. And all this, oh, Russia, they're about to fall. We've heard that for almost a year. Mm-hmm. And they're yet to fall. They're not oh, we just, gotta, we just gotta hang in there. We just gotta stay in there. Stay there for what? Heather, mm-hmm. I know you love giving your opinion on this. So I've got to let you come on in here. I yeah, mean, it's ridiculous. We heard this, Rob. How many years did we hear hang in there in Iraq, hang in there in Afghanistan? Here we go again. Here we go again. You know, I know that there are complexities to this and I'm not a military person, so, you know, but with humility, I must say, you know, if, if any other people or group had this track record that our military industrial complex and State Department and our, our elites and our, you know, government, our Congress, our, I mean, how many ongoing, costly, bloody, painful, terrible wars have they, have they fomented and, and, and nothing for nothing. And I mean, at what point do we get our heads out of our asses? Excuse my language, but I mean, you don't have to be a military expert to say that, you know, you have a very, they're going to have a very hard time making the case that they have made one single right call in the past 40 years. And here we go again. And, you know, a year ago, you and I, we, we talked about this and I don't, you know, I really, really hoped that I was wrong. I really hoped Russia would turn around and 
it would be worth it and we'd help the Ukrainians and la-di-da. But surprise, surprise, it didn't happen for, for many reasons that the writing was on the wall, that it wasn't going to happen. For one thing, the idea that Russia, I mean, I'm not saying they should have done this invasion. I don't believe violence is the answer unless it's true self-defense, and this wasn't. So I'm not defending Putin or what he did. But the idea that he was 100 million percent unprovoked is a lie that our foreign policy establishment is is pushing. Um, I think you're right that the Ukrainians are our body armor. We don't really, most Americans, I mean, the people in charge of making these decisions don't really care about those people because they're leading them down a path of death. You know, this isn't 1776. This is not the American Revolution. King George didn't have nuclear weapons, for one thing. And this is a very, very reckless, very irresponsible thing that our elites have have led us into and done with these people. I mean, these these are human beings. You know, there's no there's no reasonable chance of any kind of victory for them anytime soon because Russia now sees this as existential with the whole world piling on. And they should see it that way. I mean, if you talk to people for any length of time who support this, they talk about how they want to bring Putin down. They want to they want to uh, weaken Russia. You know, it, it isn't just about standing up for these unfortunate people, these Ukrainians, and helping them get the integrity, the territorial integrity of their country back, and that's that. If it were really only about that, you wouldn't hear all this rhetoric about weaken Russia and get rid of Putin and he's Hitler and show that they want to get him. There's This is bloodlust. This is, you know, we've jumped into a feud here and it's ugly and it's not... <laughs> about, it's not purely about helping these people. And I don't think, you know, we should be funding this already. There should be an effort to come to some kind of compromise position so that these people can live in peace. If we're such a great, you know, peace-loving democracy, let us make some sort of a, an effort toward peacemaking. But will we know? Not with Biden in office. There's no end in sight to this. And best case, we have the same conversation in a year. Worst case, this escalates into something really, and a real nightmare over what? Exactly, over what? And here we are still again. And as I was saying, just going back to Andrew's opening, look at where we are. We left four years of peace and tranquility, albeit it was tumultuous because of the left, to where we are now with banks that are failing. Look at SBP Bank. And why did Biden so hastily go in? to prop them up. Meanwhile, here in East Palestine, Ohio, he hasn't gone to visit. He hasn't shown any interest. And those people are crying out. They are our fellow Americans. But yet and still, we can find ways to help illegal aliens that are coming across the border that will be a burden on taxpayers. Here in New York City, Eric Adams is saying, he's waving the white flag, we can't sustain this, we can't keep this up, but yet and still, he's still doling out money, money that he doesn't have, money that he's taken from other coffers. Look at our subway system. They're saying we need to raise the uh, increase the prices because there's a deficit. A deficit where? I see all the ads that are being run in the subway. Where is the money going? I'll tell you where it's going. It's going to Democrats' coffers. It's going to 
fund their pet projects like DEI, ESG. And that's what happened to Silicon Valley Bank. They were so busy trying to be woke, trying to appease the woke crowd, that whenever there was an IPO, I'm hearing, that all of the headhunters, head, hedge fund managers would say, park your money there, take your money there, go put your money there. Now, never mind you, this bank was not going out giving out loans. They were just receiving the money. Oh, let's just take the money here. And as soon as they would get the money in, they would go out and experiment on some other pet project. We even saw them, had, they had a, a diversity, and equ diversity and equity person to come in and speak with the staff on pronouns. And then when you look at the board at SVB, SVP, I'm sorry, is it SVP, SVB, Silicon Valley Bank? Yeah. When you look at the board of directors, there was only one on the board that had banking experience. All the rest of them, they had degrees, fancy degrees. But as far as understanding the way a financial institution worked, absolutely nothing. They were more concerned with diversity and equity, making certain that we had the, the right amount of people here, the right amount of women, the right amount of gay men, trans men non-binary people, people who don't know who they were, the right pronouns. Biden rushed in to throw them a lifeline. Now, these are millionaires, billionaires. Now, the F FDIC, of course, will insure you up to 250000 But all the other money, he's going to rush in. And you know why? Because when you look at the bottom line and you look at who they were funding, who they were giving money to, Democrats, Paul Bateman Free, the guy, a big roller doler who should be sitting in jail right now. Oh, he's out. The FTC guy of FX that collapsed. He was one of their banking people. Why is this happening? And why isn't the media showing an interest to cover this, to expose it? Now, of course, had this been a, this bank collapsed in a red state, Biden would have looked the other way. But you can't look the other way in Silicon Valley because that's where your bread and butter is coming from. They're the ones who are greasing your pockets. They're the ones who are propping up these diversity and equity candidates. And I'm sure if you look a little closer, you'll see that George Soros was tied into it also. But no one wants to say anything about that. We want to look the other way. Also, at the same time, when this bank was going under, why is it that the CEO decided? to start shelling shares. Let me just sell all of this to make certain that I can protect mine. Forget about the others. Why isn't there a curiosity on behalf, behalf of the media to find out what happened? They were doing any other time. Look at how they put all this attention on Trump University. Oh, it was a no good university. It went bankrupt and it did this and that. Okay, what about this bank? Why aren't we looking at that? Why aren't there stories? And do not doubt me on this. When you hear that the media is concerned and the media said this and the media said that, because I've heard a lot of what the media has been saying about Trump and the indictment and, oh, this is horrible. And this is the left wing media. Oh, this makes no sense. How could they do it? Don't buy into the lies. They want you to think that they're saying this, that this is bad because they want to protect their image. They want to protect themselves. But in the back rooms, they're celebrating. They're opening up the champagne and they're saying, hurrah, 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 we got them. This is great. This is delicious. So when you hear the Maggie Habermans that are saying, coming on TV saying, oh, this makes no sense. There's no case here. And you have the others on the left saying the same thing. Don't buy it. Don't believe it. 
because they're lying. They want you to think that the same way they want you to think that they're disappointed in the banks that are going under. The same way they want you to think that the emails we just found out about the Biden family and their deals with China, Joe Biden and his brothers got like a million, a million dollars. And then Joe Biden's daughter-in-law, Haley, who was married to Bo, who unfortunately died. But after he died, she had an affair with Hunter. She got $35,000. Go figure. And there's no curiosity on behalf of the media as to why did she get that money? What did she do? She's just, I think she's a school teacher. Like, why are these people getting all these big payouts and going to these banks that are failing? But no one is looking at the voters, the citizens, our fellow Americans in East Palestine. But we can definitely focus on the illegal aliens that are crossing the border in droves. And, and folks, don't think that these illegal aliens are just Mexicans. Because see, that's what the left wants you to think. Because they want you to think that the right, they don't want brown people coming here. Oh, 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 they don't want that. No, a lot of these people are coming from China, from the Middle East. A lot of them are probably sleeper cells, but quiet as it's kept, the media will not report that fact to you. They want you to think that they're just looking at the Mexicans because they're racist. Uh-uh. The story is a lot deeper. And on After Dark with Robin Andrew, we're going to expose it. And I would dare say also some of them are coming from Ukraine, and Biden knows it as well as Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorka, and he should be impeached and booted out of office, Andrew, the same way they should boot Joe Biden out of office. We'll pick this up on the other side of the break. You're tuned into After Dark with Robin Andrew on America Out Loud, which is available Monday through Friday at 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central, or 7 p.m. on the West Coast on America Out Loud's iHeartRadio channel. We'll be back with more After Dark with Robin Andrew and special guest Heather Robinson. AmericaOutloud.com. If you can't find it here, you can't find it anywhere. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought working hard to earn your trust for seven incredible years and counting. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day. Yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. We wouldn't go a day without washing our hands, brushing our teeth, and washing our nose. Well, wait, we wash our nose? Yes, the number one place where bacteria, viruses, and pollen enter the body is through the nose. So the average person breathes over 23,000 times a day. 
that's 23,000 opportunities for bacteria, viruses, and irritants to get into your nose and make you sick. For an extra layer of protection, wash your nose with Clear. That is Clear, X-L-E-A-R. Clear's drug-free nasal spray features xylitol, an ingredient proven to block adhesion of many nasty bacteria and viruses, and effectively clean, not just rinse like a saline, but wash your nose. Clear nasal spray quickly alleviates congestion, opens your airway, and ensures your body's natural defenses are strong. Read the research studies for yourself at clear.com. That's X-L-E-A-R.com. Protect yourself from the pathogens and junk you breathe. Pick up a bottle for you and your family today. So we're talking about where the country has gone since the Biden regime has taken over. And I must say that we aren't in a good place. Hold on tight. It's definitely going to be a bumpy ride because we are mixed in with so many different things. Biden's eyes aren't where they should be, literally, figuratively, and fundamentally. We know that he's challenged. We know that he's struggling. And albeit he does come out and give these little weird press conferences, he never takes any questions. And do you guys, do you guys find that there's something wrong with that? That even the media, they're not, I mean, yeah, they'll protest and they'll say, why hasn't he, why isn't he taking questions? But they'll say it and then they'll move on. Whereas if Trump, had he done that, they would be attacking him nonstop. Why won't he? Why isn't he yelling questions at him? And of course, when they yell questions at Biden, the other reporters will chastise their colleagues and say, oh, don't do that because we won't get our questions answered or he won't ask our, we won't be able to ask our questions. Don't you find that there's something wrong with that? Like, is there a collusion with this White House and the reporters? I mean, Heather, have you ever seen anything like this before? No, they. I mean, they. the, the press went pretty soft on Obama, too. Um, they loved him. But, of course, he wasn't uh, unable to answer even a rudimentary question. And, I mean, this is, um, yes, this is extreme. I mean, it's just they're, they're his, they carry water for him and Kamala and, they just, they're, yeah, the press is totally biased. I, I you know, they're not uh, asking any tough questions. They're just, I feel like we're just on this ship of fools and it's just sitting <laughs> ship along, of fools. you know, and, and nobody's really stopping it. And um, it's very, very dismaying. Yes. I mean, that no one is being held accountable, that they don't want to force the issue. And as I said, they will complain and say, well, he's not answering our questions. But this whole thing, this revelation with the Hunter Biden laptop, with the classified documents that are being found, it seems, on a weekly basis, documents are turning up. And when they turned up at Mar-a-Lago, and we all knew that they were there, Trump never denied it, that we have to have a special prosecutor to go in and investigate. Like, what is Merrick Garland? I mean, why isn't he being held accountable? This does not look good for us at all. This does not look good for our republic. It does not look good for the United States of America. It doesn't. And I think that those individuals who always wanted to see America downfall, they've got it. I don't think Barack Obama even appreciated what this country gave him and his wife, that we, this country allowed him to sail to the highest office in the country. I don't think he appreciated it. 
Because if he did, you would think he would come out and say, wait a minute, we might, as he did his red state, blue state. I think about that speech now. I mean, a lot of people, they were like, like, oh my God, this is just like the best speech ever. And I always questioned that speech and the way he governed and the way he carried himself. Because if he truly believed that we're no red state, blue state, we're all one country, United States of America, that he would have governed that way. But he didn't. He divided us more than bring us together. And even now he's sitting down on his hands. You would think that he would try to take the role of a statesman and say, wait, we might not agree with everything that Donald Trump has said or done, but we cannot doubt his love for the country. And he did do some good things, but Obama can't say that because Obama know that it would put a light on his time in office, which was very abysmal. And then you look at Joe Biden, a continuation of Obama. I mean, thankfully, and I don't mean this the wrong way, that Jimmy Carter, when it is time for him to go, he will go knowing that he was not the worst president, that Joe Biden has taken that mantle from him. Now, the media will play as if though it didn't happen. Now, and you want, you, I bet you anything that if, God forbid, if a Democrat came in behind Biden, they would poo-poo all over Biden and say he was horrible, he was miserable, he was this, unless it's Kamala, because we know she's not going to move the goalpost any, she's not going to move the meter at all, because she too is incompetent. But what's coming out of this White House, and this White House not being held accountable by the media is unfortunate, because we should, we have a right to know, as Nixon once said, if our elected official is corrupt, is a criminal. He didn't say those words exactly. But he said, we have a right to know. The American people have a right to know. And in the Constitution, as I said before, the media is supposed to hold our elected officials accountable. But Andrew and Heather, they can't hold themselves accountable. They can't be fair and unbalanced, fair and balanced, fair and accurate. Look at how they lied about our pullout from Afghanistan. And as we mentioned in the first block, Ukraine. Look at how they're lying about China and the balloon. So many lies. It makes you wonder, like, what, what, is, what will become of our great nation? They lied about COVID and said that all these people were dying and we've got to stay inside. And if you don't take the vaccine, this is what's going to happen. Only to find out that what they were saying was just untrue. We're learning from the Twitter files how they try to suppress information about COVID. If you had a difference of opinion, oh, let's shut them down. We're finding out that Dr. Fracci, Dr. Fraud, Dr. Frankenstein, and no one is going to hold him accountable. Look at the collateral damage that came from the things that this guy said. And guys, have you noticed that Dr. Burr, she's nowhere to be seen now. Where is she? Now, she came out with a book. But now she's conveniently just disappeared as if though she never existed hmm. because the truth is slowly coming out. She's nowhere to be seen now. She, she's, on, she's on none of the shows. She's not giving an opinion. She's not attacking Trump now. She's just disappeared because she never thought probably that the Twitter files were going to expose their lies. She never thought probably that they were going to be held accountable. And she's probably still thinking, oh, no, we got this. But they don't. So it's up to independent journalists like us to report the facts, to hold their feet to the fire because the mainstream media won't do it. They don't have a desire for it. And many of them are in the swamp with these swampers. So if we don't report the news, if we don't keep it out there, 
they make people aware of the lies that have been told, who will do it? No one will do it. What do you say, Heather? Yeah, I mean, it's it's very concerning. There's a lot that um, that that yes, that what is not what you know. There's there's just not a lot of tolerance for dissenting views from the establishment in this country. And I mean, I may have a slightly different perspective, Rob, in the sense that you know, regarding COVID, for instance, my my sense of it is that. That the establishment in this country, whether it was uh, the medical community, Trump, our government, did try to, you know, do what they thought was right. I do think COVID is real and it's deadly. And I know you're not denying that, but it really was a deadly thing for the elderly. You know, I, I did a little calculation the other day of, um, you know, very, very rough, admittedly, you know, but um, of the the number of people, I think it was, you know, over a million people in this country died. And, I, you know, the way I worked it out based on what I could find about the numbers of people who are over 75 in this country, again, very, very, very roughly, I think what it came out to is like one in 10 of them died of COVID. So when you think of it that way, you know, it would appear that it was it was never the threat to the young and healthy that, you know, we were told by many media outlets that it was. And I, I agree with you that I think in, in hindsight, the lockdowns, um, you know, were not wise. They created many more problems, um, unintended consequences, terrible. And there was a lack of regard for, I think, just talking to people as adults, letting us make these determinations. But I, you know, I, I would have rather seen our government handle it more as trusting in the patriotism and the decency of most Americans that we're going to understand this is a threat to the elderly and vulnerable. We will make some adjustments and some sacrifices for them. I think that's how it should have been presented as opposed to we, we will lock you down. You know, you are to to follow everything we say, don't dare question, you know, you're, you know, or you, or you will be stigmatized or prosecuted. Like, I don't think that was the right approach in a free country. And I don't think it really worked very well. I don't, I don't think people, you know, submitted to it. And though, you know, I don't think it really, uh, anyway, but I do, where I differ from you a bit is I think that there was, uh, you know, it, granted, it coming from people who tend to think in terms of managing everybody, it's an institutional mindset that drove the COVID response. They don't think in terms of individual liberty as much as they do in terms of, you know, rules and bureaucracy and top-down orders. And that's part of what was wrong. And I think that, you know, I do, I don't think it was, I don't quite feel that it was, um, badly intentioned or that the purpose in their minds was taking away liberty. I think that they are just people who think in terms of big government. And that's, you know, that's what the way most of the world thinks at this point. And I, you know, I think it's a trade-off. I think that in places like that, who knows? I mean, you know, there, there's no totally controlling a virus, right? I mean, that idea that you can completely control it and stop it in its tracks is wrong, is unrealistic. You know, I mean, on the other hand, I guess, I don't think they, I think that to just let it run and kill whoever was going to kill and take whoever was going to take and not lift a finger to try to try to um, make 
um, you know, policy and, 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 you know, to try to mitigate it, I don't think would have been the right thing either, honestly. And I think that's why President Trump didn't do that. You know, he, he didn't lock the country down, but he did fast, you know, track the vaccination program. He did encourage people to take basic precautions, you know, and I mean, I think that it may have saved some lives to do that. So I think it probably did. You know, and so if that's your mother or your grandmother or your, you know, cousin who has cancer, you know what I mean, who who didn't die because of these things. Like, I, I do think that there was some value in some of the mitigation, such as encouraging people to, you know, socially distance where they could not pack into places, not, you know, cough all over each other and go out if they weren't feeling well. I mean, that said, I think it should have been, should have been tailored. I think it focused to that. I think people, you know, if our government had just respectfully said Americans in patriotism and concern for the elderly and vulnerable, if you don't feel well, whether you, whether it's a cold, whether you think it's something else, whatever it is, just isolate yourself and, you know, don't pack into bars distance, you know, wash your hands more, just that, you know, out of out of concern for the elderly, let's all band together like we did in World War Two and make a contribution and do that. That's how I would have handled it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not against the mitigation, though, because I think that, you know, it, it may have saved some lives. And I, you know, I think that this was a deadly thing. So you're right. It was a deadly thing. I, I just view it differently. I think that there were players that were there now that we're getting this information that's coming out. At some point, they knew that they were going too far, but mm-hmm. because they were able to do it and that people weren't going to question them, mm-hmm. they did it. I mean, even the article that you wrote that we're going to discuss <laughs> in coming up in our next block, I, it, was, it, was, it, it, it was riveting because mm-hmm. it, it's where it all started. And I would encourage all of our listeners to go and read the article, and we're going to discuss it in details how this one church decided, okay, we're not going to do this. We're, we're not going to shut down. People need to be together. We need to touch each other. And earlier on during the pandemic, we read about, we heard about stories whereby children were committing suicide. But again, the media refused to report on that. But you know what they, were, they, what they would report on? Gender reaffirming surgery. A parent doesn't want this child to have it. We've got to remove that child from the family. Mm-hmm. We've got to take, this is a crisis. Oh my God, this is a crisis running around with their hair on fire. But kids were committing suicide because they were unable to go to school. They had lost the connection. And then what did we do? We got them addicted to TikTok, a Chinese weapon, a Chinese spyware. Do not doubt me. I don't care what they say. It is Chinese up and down by the Chinese government, not the people, but the government. They're spying on us the same way they were spying on us with that huge balloon that was the size of three buses and Biden just let it sail across the United States. Well, why would he do it? Well, I'll tell you why he would do why he did it. The emails have just been released. There were business deals. So all of this, in my opinion, all of it, all ties together. It's all connected. And we need to get to the bottom of this. Why were places shut down? Why were people put in jail? Right now, the story that you wrote, Heather, the county is still suing the church. They went, they uh, backed out of one lawsuit, but they want to keep another lawsuit. Why? Why not just admit we got it wrong? Follow the science. 
It's follow the science until the science doesn't agree with our crazy ideas. And then we say dismiss the science. A man can have a baby. A man cannot have a baby. What are you talking about, folks? But see, this is how the left operates. So the story that you did have and that we're going to talk about, and I hope our listeners listen carefully, because this is how the government was so easily able to take away, in my opinion, rights, take away our constitutional rights, freedom of assemble, and say, oh, it's the pandemic. Oh, it's this. But I thought you said you didn't understand the virus. Why shut it down? Well, they want to shut everything down because they wanted mail-in ballots. They wanted to fix the election any way they could. Because remember, earlier on, they said, oh, there's no threat. Oh, go out, party, be merry, go to Chinatown, go here, go all over the place. And then all at once, they got together in a little room. They figured out, hey, we could use this. Never let a crisis go undone. Utilize that crisis. So we're going to talk about that. Heather's article on the other side of the break, Andrew. Yeah, we definitely are. At the very least, the pandemic definitely uh, made some Americans question the government, even further with some of the leaks Uh, They went to with some of these lockdowns. Of course, at first, I think everybody was on board, but the more and more uh, the pandemic went on, it seems like it got more and more controversial. Some of the steps that the Democrats uh, were taking. You're tuned into After Dark with Robin Andrew, which is available on America Out Loud's iHeartRadio channel Monday through Friday at 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central, or 7 p.m. on the West Coast. We'll be back with more After Dark with Robin Andrew, and we're going to discuss Heather Robinson's latest article. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's fast-paced digital age makes it tougher. You're not alone. Poor sleep affects over 70% of us. The CDC even labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake refreshed. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep using calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Over a thousand reviews with an average star rating of over 4.4 proves it works. Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. We're back here on After Dark with Rob and Andrew, and we're going to use our final half to discuss Heather Robinson's latest article, A Church, the State, and a Holy War, which is available on the free press. You guys definitely want to check out that article. It's a very interesting article. Um, I read it earlier. I really enjoyed it. So I'm uh, really curious to get Heather's thoughts on it and um, a little more inside detail on the article uh, Rob, did you get a chance to check out the article yet yourself? I did, Andrew. And as I was saying during the uh, second block of the show, it's rather I found the article rather riveting uh, because it it it's where it, it goes back to and what brings you back to how this all started, the shutdowns, and we were told we couldn't go outside, and we were we had to go on Zoom. People started using Zoom. Of course, the stock of Zoom just went through the roof. Gosh, I hate I didn't buy any stock, but hey, nevertheless, uh, people were isolated. We are creatures, are social creatures. We're meant to interact with each other. And during the shutdown, 
it's unfortunate that our government tried, not tried, but were successful in some instances, unlocking many of us inside. And I, I have to say it the way it was, because the Democrats pressured Trump and they pressured him, but he said, okay, let's, you can, oh, let the states decide, but you know, if you have to go inside, let's just go inside for a couple of months and then we'll come back. And he said, but I don't want to do it because I know once we do it, it will be the devil to open things up. And lo and behold, he was right. And we didn't have a lot of strong Republicans to stand by him to say, we, we got your back, Mr. President. We got to open up. Nancy Pelosi and her regime, Maxine Waters, Chuck Schumer, and all the others, they saw it as an opportunity, shut it down, throw away the key, and we won't open up forever. Keep it all shut down. And while we're at it, like I said in my view, we're going to take away some of their rights. We're going to take away their rights to vote. We're going to tell them they have to vote by uh, 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 mail-in ballots. And if the votes come in that we don't like, we're going to can them in the garbage can. We're going to chunk them, throw them away. We're going to tell them you can't go to the doctor's office because something might happen. We're going to even tell them they can't go to church. But you can go to a strip, strip club and you can go out and buy alcohol because we want to keep them drunk and stupid and on marijuana and everything else. Now, just imagine people, social beings going to church, used to going to church on Sunday. Now they can't do it. Not every church had the capabilities of doing Zoom, especially some of the little small churches, but they kept a watchful eye on them. And if you were seen in groups, they would even convince your neighbors, call them in, tell on them, tell them to go inside. What does that sound like? The Red Scare? What does it sound like? Communist China? What does it sound like? Hitler? But if you want to get people to stop and think and say, look at what you did to your neighbors. Oh, no, 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 that was okay. We were trying to protect, we were trying to protect them. So the article that Heather wrote, as Andrew mentioned, I would encourage you all to go and read it. When this our show goes up on the podcast, we're going to put a link to the article there. A church, the state, and a holy war. Heather, how did you find out about what happened here? And uh, this was in Silicon Valley of all places. Silicon yes. Valley. Wow. Yes. How, did, how did you find well, out? What was the genesis of it? Well, I was assigned the story, Rob, by my editor, a brilliant editor who used to work at the New York Post, and she was hired recently by the, the Free Press, which is uh, a new publication. Um, my editor, Margie Conklin, um, asked me to take this on. And I think that she felt that it was a real microcosm of the larger dynamics um, during COVID, uh, the clash between those who favored the government's approach, which was, as we've discussed, uh, lockdowns, uh, masking, distancing, all these regulations, um, versus people who felt it was important to continue life as, as normally as possible. And in this case, religious folk who were uh, the parishioners of, of Calvary Church, which is located in, uh, yes, in Santa Clara County, San Jose. And so it was assigned to me and it was, uh, you know, it was a, it was a pretty, uh, pretty hefty uh, assignment because uh, I had to, you know, get a sense of the, the place and the people from uh, on the other side of the country, but also access a lot of records, um, try to to uh, reconstruct what happened um, and it was it was a long series of back and forth between the uh, government and the church in the courts and the people themselves you know they were very determined to just 
continue to worship. It was hugely important to them. So that part, the human story, you know, was a matter of, uh, you know, trying to, to talk to the people. And, um, you know, many of them were willing to talk to me, even though this is a sensitive legal uh, battle at this point. So, um, yes, it was, it was a real kind of a, a microcosm of the clash between, between the church and, and state. Definitely. So what happened, just reading the story, is that the state wanted the church to shut down, mm-hmm. not to have any services. Mm-hmm. That's right. And there's a pastor, charismatic fellow named Mike McClure, who publicly, you know, held an event and declared, I, you know, he, he did cooperate for the first two months. He shut down the church. And then, you know, two months in, he held a public event and announced he was never going to shut the church down again. And people gathered there. They were drawn there. Um, a lot of them, and you're right, Rob, you know, we forget about those early days of lockdowns. And those of us who live in cities really experienced it differently, I think, than more rural folk. I don't think it was ever as, you know, for the most part, anyway, as extreme in the small towns and the rural, rural areas of this country. But the cities, you know, you could hear a pin drop. People were told to stay in their homes for the first few weeks anyway, which I think I have to just editorialize was the absolute, you know, worst advice. Um, you know, this idea that it wasn't okay to even, you know, go outside for a walk um, or, you know, a run or, you know, I, I mean, it, I think that was really just the very beginning. We heard things like that. And um, I knew it was absurd at the time, made no sense whatsoever. I mean, if you're not even near people, how can you possibly be giving them some contagion and you feel perfectly well? But anyway, these people, they, you know, the ones I interviewed, they talked about how how they realized that it wasn't logical. And, um, you know, interestingly, I mean, they're people of faith and you think of them as being less, uh, you know, rational maybe, but the irony is that they were right, um, you know, for the most part that, uh, you know, that they, they, you know, that they're, yes, this can be transmitted, but that the lockdowns were not going to stop it completely from spreading and they, it didn't. And so, so anyway, yes, these, these people, these, these churchgoers, they, you know, I spoke with half a dozen of them, you know, most of those I spoke with were women who, had various, you know, felt imperatives to help each other. You know, some of them had children who were suffering with anxiety. I lead the story with, um, you know, you know, a tale that was told to me by a wonderful woman, Marcy Dower. And I feel bad that I didn't get to, to include the end of that story in my piece, Rob. It was in the piece actually, and it wound up getting cut, you know, for length. But the end of that story, basically, she, this woman, Marcy, and her husband encountered a young woman sitting outside on the beach crying in the early days of the lockdown. And this was a young girl, 18 years old, who had alcohol on her breath. And uh, she confided to them that she had been raped. She had been attacked, you know, just moments before during the lockdown. And she was disoriented and they prayed with her, their religious folk, and they tried to take her to a hospital. And the girl was afraid to go to the hospital because of COVID, actually. That also got cut from the piece. And she, but she was intimidated in general. She was very broken and she wanted to go to church. They offered her, they said, you, 
basically they followed up with her that week, checked on her, called her, and she said she wanted to go to a church. There were no churches open except for this Calvary Chapel, which is how they, this couple, wound up attending. They took this young girl. And so, you know, that was an example of somebody who, you know, needed support and needed uh, the warmth and camaraderie and nurturing of a community. And um, actually, the other, the end of that story was Marcy told me that the girl became a regular there for a while, and she found the strength to go to the police to report the rape. And Marcy felt it was because of the support of the church community. So I'm glad I'm getting a chance to share that with you, because that didn't wind up in the final draft, unfortunately. Wow. But mm. it's a very powerful story. It's very powerful. And it goes back to, you know, we, we're social creatures. We need someone to talk to. We need someone to, you know, to let us know that they care. We need a hug. We need that human touch. And I think that we were denied that. You think about the grandparents who were told to stay away from their children, their grandchildren, because their grandchildren might give them the disease. Now, as you said in the second block, now, Andrew and I both, both believe that COVID exists. Okay. Do not doubt. We know that. Okay. In my opinion, it was like the flu, a bad case of the flu. And I think that now that we're seeing the studies that are now being released, a lot of people in the CDC thought the same thing. Mm. Okay, they also felt that this virus came from a lab. But of mm. course, people were laughed at and said, oh, no, it didn't happen that way. But we know that it did now. And more information will come out. We just wish that the media would report on it, but they won't. So it's up to us fellow citizen journalists to do it or independent journalists. But just going back to your story, Heather. So I also read that the county decided to sue the church. Could you explain that? Well, yes. Um, essentially, the county started, um, they, they first got a restraining order. They got some kind of a court order that allowed them to go into the church and to observe you know, all kinds of very intimate kinds of church activities, christenings and women's groups, and prayer meetings, and to take notes and observe whether people were social distancing or wearing masks. And um, yes, and then, you know, they, they, there, was, there were numerous lawsuits back and forth, but um, basically the, the church first sued, excuse me, the county first sued, sued the church for not uh, adhering to the regulations, you know, and they weren't, they definitely, there was no question about it. All the people I spoke with were not shy about telling me that they wanted to worship. They were not going to be afraid. They were, you know, singing, they were, you know, introducing themselves to each other, embracing. They basically, you know, you know, they didn't even, there was no pretense of following these regulations. They just didn't buy into it. And although it should be said that the pastor, Mike McClure, he did provide masks for anyone who wanted them. You know, he allowed for social distancing. He, he created two services, 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. so that there'd be more space for people to social distance if they wanted to was, was one thing that I heard. It actually didn't make it into the story. So he wasn't going out of his way to thumb his nose. You know, he was willing to accommodate people who wanted to adhere to these regulations, but he didn't want to require it. And most of the people didn't, didn't adhere to them. So anyway, the, the county sued the church for this. They started slapping on fines. Um, 
for every violation. Like, you know, and in the story, there's description that, you know, there was a, a science journalist who actually first broke that part of the story named David Zweig on his Substack. He wrote about, he had access to documents and I'm not sure how he got them, maybe a FOIA request or something. I, he managed to get from the government um, these documents that, um, you know, that showed exactly how in this painstaking detail, the, the agents of the state sat there and spied on this congregation, you know, who's wearing a mask, were the parking lot attendants masked, how many people hugged when they were walking into the church. And then, you know, when the women's group met, were these women sitting far enough apart from each other and one woman was singing and, you know, it gets very petty and picky. And, you know, as we know, all of this did, but, you know, I think this has the added dimension of being kind of, you know, um, beyond just other people meddling and scolding, which we all experienced, which was annoying, but this is even more ominous because it's the government, um, you know, doing all this surveillance of people. And and the, the newest wrinkle is that apparently there is, um, there is a strong suspicion anyway, and, you know, the county is denying this, I should note, but, um, David Zweig, in his piece, he he wound up unearthing some documents, and, and I, I write about this, you know, and cite him, that, that the county hired um, a company to conduct, it would appear, to conduct GPS cell phone data surveillance of these parishioners in order to build its case against them. Now, the Santa Clara County, when I went to them, on this, they denied it, and you know, with a very wordy, hard to parse statement that to me sounded like what they were saying is that they they merely purchased data that was commercially available and then analyzed it. So, I mean, that's you know, that's a contentious <laughs> issue whether or not they did cell phone GPS surveillance, but. Um, you know, many people feel they, they did, and this could turn into, you know, a legal issue as well. Right. So, Heather, what is your takeaway from this piece that you did? Mm -hmm. uh, and considering everything that went on for COVID, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. what, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, I think that we need more information and open discussion of things like you said, Rob, I mean, one of the troubling aspects of all of this was the clampdown, not right. just on people's freedoms, but on people's right to discuss this and to access, you know, alternate points of view. You know, if the government is going to be this heavy handed about something like this, I mean, I'm not saying it was no threat. We all agree that it was a public health threat, but let's get real. I mean, I don't mean to minimize it for anyone who lost a relative. It's very, you know, tragic, but it, this wasn't the Ebola virus. I mean, they, I don't think it would took a rocket scientist to see it after the first few weeks that most young, healthy people were not in mortal danger of this, you know, and beyond that initial kind of shutdown, I don't, you know, I, my takeaway is that the government was heavy handed here and did not allow for enough, um, enough autonomy for for local municipalities and also for for although we did see some variation state to state and you know i kind of you know overall i feel like i feel like the states that didn't do the lockdowns really you know were not are not much worse off in the end than anybody 
Um, so I think that the lockdowns on the whole were, um, you know, in a free country like this, they were a mistake. And I think that the government should have more respect, you know, for our basic liberties. That said, you know, I think that there may be some truth to the idea that um, some of these these measures and, and directives you know, did maybe slow the spread of this somewhat, you know, at least, you know, prior to the vaccines coming out. So, you know, I mean, I I would say I think the lockdowns were a mistake. And, you know, I personally, but I think the overall kind of takeaway is that, that we have this tension, you know, in in a free country between liberty and between the, the communal sort of common good as determined by the government. But I think that, you know, the balance, you know, should be in favor of liberty, you know, particularly when you're dealing with something that's, yes, it may be a crisis, but, you know, I think there was an element of overreaction to this, you know, on the part of our government and and an effort to control that backfired in a major way. So, you know, that's my takeaway. Yeah, very well said. We're all out of time tonight. Thank you, Heather. Thank you all for joining us on After Dark with Robin Andrew on America Out Loud, which is available on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, or wherever you stream. Or you can go to AmericaOutloud.com. Click the Listen Live tab for 24-7 talk radio. We'll see you guys next time. And remember, stand for something or fall for nothing.